Here we are, this is session number four. And um, so we spent two sessions on uh, pretty much on the flesh, the human nature. And this is the second one now on the world. Um, someone, put you on the spot, can somebody remind us? What do you remember? What is the world as an enemy of the Christian? Um, when we say the world in the context of one of our enemies as Christians, what are we talking about? Social media, television, the, the media stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else? What comes to mind? The world as an enemy. Culture in general. Okay. Mm-hmm. And any other thoughts come to mind from last time? Okay, yeah, we talked about the physical earth is not really part of it. The physical earth is, um, yeah, not that it's, you know, it's got bears and coyotes and all that stuff that'll chase you down. I said, you see, that? <laughs> you know, all these stuff on, on YouTube, you can see, a, yeah, this little girl and a dog was chased by a coyote. Did you see that one? <laughs> Yeah, so it can be our enemy. But when the Bible talks about the, um, the, um, the enemy as the world, last week we, we put it this way. The world in this sense, okay, the world can mean the physical earth, but as an enemy, it looks at mankind as a whole, mankind as a society with its culture, which includes all the media and that sort of thing. This includes, but it includes the inner side, the worldview, values, assumptions, convictions, etc., of the world, of the people out there, of the society as a whole. And it'll be different depending upon your society, whether in your Rwandan society or American society. But the outer side as well, because what's inside affects the outside. And if you've got a particular worldview, values, assumptions, and convictions, it's going to come out in the music, in the literature, in the social media. Um, and what else do we mention? Um, even physical objects and tools, uh, the, the religions and philosophies that are followed in that in that society. So that's the world. It's 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 looking at mankind as a whole. And and remember, the reason it's an enemy is that the world is made up of human beings who have a human nature, and we studied what the human nature is like. So. Um, um, so the world is the society of mankind with its God-resistant tendency due to the human nature. And that's why, that's why it's an enemy. So um, let's look at this. We put this up last week, and I'm going to put this over here. Uh, someone explain what that illustration was all about. Who wants to get us started? Somebody get us started and somebody else can chip in and say, okay, I see this and this. What was that all about? Okay. Yeah. Good start. What else? What do you see there? What do we talk about when we when we use this this illustration? What is that flow you talked about? There is a flow to human life in 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 any society. Um, 
what does this illustration say about that flow? Okay, it's a flow that is determined by the human nature. The human nature has a flow to it. Everybody in society has that that human nature. So it's like a, a flow a flow of river. That's supposed to be like water or something like that, you know. Um, and flowing down, and everybody is walking in that same direction with the flow, going with the flow. We even say that, going with the flow, you know? And so um, that's, what, that's what society is. What's that guy in the middle? Who, what is that other guy doing, that darker guy there? Is that a Black Lives Matter guy or something? No, <laughs> no just kidding. He's go, yeah, so he's, who did we say he is? Us, the Christians. So because it's not to say we don't have human natures, but we're going in a different direction, okay? Did, did, Don, did you, get, did you get a paper? So, all right. Um, now, taking even a step farther back, we talked about the human, in talking about the human nature, we, we talked about uh, the... Um, uh, the, the passage that talked about keeping in step with the Spirit. This is why keeping in step with the Spirit is difficult. That's why keeping in step with the Spirit, that's why the human, the, the, the world is an enemy. It's something we struggle against when we're trying to keep in step with the Spirit because the, the Spirit of God, it says in that very passage, is against the human nature. It not, it's trying to take us in a different direction. So that's what's illustrated there. It's taking us in a different direction. Here's somebody else, Laura. Okay. And, and so as you're trying to keep in step, the Spirit's stepping out. You want to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit's leading out. You want to keep in step and le- be led by that Spirit. All the while, the whole society around you is going the other way. It's going the other way. And so that's, that's um, the life we live here. So I'm, I'm t- calling this living as exiles because that's, that's really a, a good um, idea of what, what, what this warfare is with the world. Um, and we're going to talk about three, three tips or strategies tonight. So we talked about what it is. That was just kind of review. I want, I want to, each time we want to talk about strategies or tips. How do you, how do you, how do you fight this, this, this warfare against the world? So... Um, What's the first thing on your paper there? The importance of what? Okay, let's talk about that. So um, gonna, we're going to think about it in terms of... Um, so on the one hand, you have, you have some parents who came from Rwanda to the United States. This is just an illustration, but, but could be true, to flee the genocide in 1994. So they leave their home and they come and they live here in America, okay? From Rwanda. And they love their home culture. They love Rwanda. They love their language. They, they love the food. They love the dress. They love everything about it. And they're really, it really is sad for them to be here. But they have to be here 
Um, so they do what they can to live well here. You know, they get a house and they find a job and whatever. Um, but they do everything they can in their lives to nurture their culture, um, to preserve it in their lives and in their home, okay? So you've got the parents. But then you got the kids. All right, now the kids, they, yeah, they like Rwandan culture. They like where they came from, but they consider it passe and boring. <laughs> and they love American culture. They love American culture. They love the way Americans dress. They love the pizza. They love the music. They love everything about American culture. And, um, but they're pressured by their parents to do what? To maintain the Rwandan culture. All right? So you got that picture in your mind? You got the parents and you got the kids. Now, Contrast the Rwandan living of these two, the parents as opposed to the kids, okay? What's it going to look like? Rwandan living. They're in America, Rwandan living for the parents and the kids. Bring a contrast. Talk about that. What's that look like? They speak it at home. I mean, they probably would not, they would work as hard as they could to do what? To get rid of an accent. You know? They would never, they want to do everything they can to not be Rwandan. And so they're not going to throw out little Rwandan phrases or anything like that. And they're going to speak Kenyawanda at home because they have to. But, okay, what else? What else would be the difference between the parents and the kids? Okay, yep. Yeah, they'll, they'll assimilate very quickly the values. Well, not, not just because they're young, because they love it. They love America. They're, they're going to find out everything they can about American life and values and suck it in like a sponge, okay? What about the parents? What are they going to do about American values? And John, you're going like this. They're going to resist, okay? All right. Um, I mean, I mean you, you can go on. You, you get the picture. I mean, this happens with, with immigrant families. They come in, and the parents are sad. That, you know, they, they love their home, uh, I don't know about your parents coming, coming over to, to the United States, if there was that kind of a, a dissonance, but the kids love the culture here. And so, but at home and in the, in the family culture, they, they, they're forced to, there's that culture there, but once they get away, they do everything. All right, so. Now, change the idea here um, to Christian living. Christian living, and let's change it. It's not, it's not 
Rwandans coming to America. It's Christians living in America. And there's the Christian who just loves American culture and thinks that Christian culture is boring and passe. But it it does everything that Christians are supposed to do because of family, because of, well, I'm a Christian, so I need to dress this way. I need to act this way. I need to speak this way. But man, I think out there is really, it's, it's really fun out there. And then you've got the Christian who just loves God and his ways. And he's really sad to have to live in this world because he's got a home that he just really loves and wishes he could get to. What's going to be the difference in living the Christian life between those two? They both live here in this society. What's going to be the difference in the living of their Christian life? So let's, instead of parents and kids, let's say the lovers of God and his ways and the lovers of the world and its ways. What's going to be the difference? Some of the same kind of deals. Your All right, you're going to be motivated to go in the direction of what life and values and things that you love, obviously. And that, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah. What else? What's it going to look like? They both go to church. Out of love. Looking forward to it. I, I really want to. Maybe both of them resist sleeping around. But what's the difference? Yeah, what? What's the motivation? Expectation of your parents or, or your society or your church, you know. Um, you see the difference? There are Christians that are like this and Christians that are like this. The only reason they're maintaining the moral standard is because that's what's expected of Christians and that's what I am and I want to get to heaven, so I guess I'll, I'll do that, you know. Whereas the one that really loves God and his ways is like, Man, I wouldn't want to do that. If I get, if I, if I ever get weak and I do that, I'm going to feel terrible. Like a, sometimes I tell Lori, if I, if you ever see me going in a direction where I'm going to make a stupid decision, hit me over the head with a two by four. Um, I mean that's because, and she would too. Yeah, we've got one too right there by the front door. Amy's seen it. No, just kidding. Um, So I bring that up because of the importance of love, okay? That's why um, we've got some Bible verses there. Matthew 6, 24, on your paper there. Somebody read that. Matthew 
that's why the Bible says that. Because if you're called a Christian and you love the ways of the world, it's going to be, it's, it's just going to be hard for you to not go the way of the world, right? Because you're going to go in the direction that you love. Um, and it's going to be a, it's a struggle anyway. It's a struggle even when you love God because of, because of that. But you add to it the fact that you don't even want to go that direction. Um, <laughs> Woo, it's going to be tough, okay? Read the next one, James 4.4. 4. The adulterous people don't know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes a friend of God. Okay, and, and again, that makes sense. That's why the Bible says these things. The importance, the importance of love, the friendship with God. I mean, if God is really your friend... And I mean, he's your, he's your, he's your buddy. He's, he's the one you want to be with. Um, I mean, a friend is someone you got all, all these people you could be with, but you want to be with your friend. If you got some time, you want to call your friend. Um, and if God is like that to you, you're, you're going to have a, you're going to have a better time of walking against it because you're going with and in the direction of your friend. But if your friend is the world, um, your friend is the world over here and God's over here, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because when you want to spend time, you're going to be spending it where your friend is. Your friend's over here. God's over here, you know? So that's why it says that. First John 2, 15 to 16. Um, this is just a couple uh, phrases out of that. Somebody read that one. Okay, so there you go. That's why the Bible says those things. So the first principle, the first strategy is love God and his ways. Develop a love for God in his ways. Now that's pretty simple and basic, but it's the foundation of everything else. Um, and it's, it's a degree thing. Um, it's, it's, it's like this. Um, you've got, uh, you've got a, you've got a thermometer or a scale here and, uh, you've got love, love for God and his ways and you've got here, down here, a love of the world. And its ways. And then you've got a scale over here. Um, and you've got winning. Winning the battle against the world. And here you've got losing the battle against the world, being carried along by the world. There's a correlation there to the degree. So it's not an either or. Where you are here will determine where you are here. All right? That'll affect it. The degree that you love God in his ways, if it's way up here, the chances of you being way up here on this one are big. If you're way down here, if your love for the world and the things of the world is much greater than your love for God and the things of, the, uh, things of God, then the chances of you being up here on this, side, on this scale are really low. You're probably going to be down here somewhere. 
So that just makes sense. I mean, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. But we, I don't know that we all always think about that. We say, well, why aren't things going so well in my Christian life? Well, look at what you love. That's probably the first thing to check out. All right, does that make sense? So um, be the exile who loves his home, all right? The Bible talks of us as living as exiles. We are strangers here. This is not our home. Live like people who have another home that they just love. They love its ways. They love its food. They love its, its people. They love the way things function there. They just love it. They love the language, and uh, they just can't wait when, when the door gets opened for them to be there. And so they, 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 they do what they can to live here. You know, they, they get a job and they do a good job. You know, they buy a house and they do their best. They do all these things that they need to do for living here. But they've got this, this desire for their home. And that's, that's living as exiles. Um, living as exiles. Okay, so that's, that's the first one. Any, any questions on that? Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a great question. Um, that's a great question. Um, because when the the illustration I, I love I like to give is um, okay. So you you want your house painted, okay? You want your house painted, and um, you got two 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 options. You've got one guy whose objective is just to get by, get his money, do as little as he can, get the job done, and say goodbye and go home with his money, okay? All right. Now, you got another guy who's your friend. He's a painter, and um, he even offered to do it for free. But you said, no, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you. Um, who's going to probably do the better job? The friend? The guy that is just doing it for the money just to get by? What are you going to have to do? You're going to have to write him a rule book. You're going to have to spell out. Now, I want this done and this done, and don't do this. And if you get paint on the window, I want you to scrape it off. If you don't put it down in writing, he's not going to do it. You see, you don't have to do that with your friend. He's going to be very careful because he wants to do a good job because he loves you and he's your friend. And you don't have to give him a rule book. He's going to do it right. And he, he's not even interested in a rule book. You see, so sometimes we're so c- concerned about the rules. But if we're really concerned about love for God, we're not going to say, Hey, man, um, it says don't commit adultery, so I'm not going to commit adultery. But anything else than that, man, I'm, it's fair game for me. That's just trying to get by. You're looking at the list and saying, well, if the, you know, the guy in the, the painting guy said, if I get wood, paint on the window, I have to scrape it off. But what if I get paint 
on their dresser. He didn't say anything about that, so I don't have to wipe that up. I mean, what kind of, that's sometimes how we live, you know, (laughs) as Christians. And uh, that's why Paul says we're no longer under the law. Because that's what the law does. The law is for people that want to break it. And for people that don't care. But people who love and have that love for God and his ways, they don't operate according to the law. They operate according to love. And so, if, if there's a situation in life, and it's far short of committing adultery or anything like that, and you say, I think this is maybe not good for me in my relationship with God, I don't care, what the, I don't care if there's a law against it. I'm just not going to do it. I don't, I don't need a law to tell me, don't do that, or don't watch that. Or anything, and I think I think a long time ago, maybe all these rules that came up, you know, and that you know, you talk about legalism and don't want, you know, you know, generations ago, they said don't play cards and don't watch this movie and don't watch that movie and don't listen to this kind of music. I think it started with good-hearted people who, for them, thought, you know, this is not good for me to be doing these things. But they then they made it a law, and then it was like their kids, like the expatriate kids who they didn't have the same motivation and values and love for this stuff that their parents had. And so it just became a bunch of rules for the kids that as soon as they got out of the house, they were going to break. You see, because they didn't share that. So and that's a good question. So don't, don't be controlled by law. Be controlled by your love of Christ. Paul says the love of Christ controls us. And um, li- live by that. And then ask the question. You'll do more. You'll do better. If you just go by the law, you'll do less. Law livers live by the minimum. That painter that's just trying to get, living by the rule book that you set out, um, he's going to look at that and just try to do the minimum that he can possibly do, go off with his money. Um, but the friend who really loves you, he's going to do the max. And that, that's the kind of life we want to live. Okay, does that answer your question? Okay. Um, there's more than that. I, there, there's a really good teaching on that that, that um, is appropriate to that question. But um, let's, let's talk about tip number two. Tip number two, what is it? The importance of what? The body of Christ. So this, this is tip number two. And um, I think it also just kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, not, nothing new, but I think it helps to think of it in terms of this, this warfare. Somebody read Hebrews 10 there. Um, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession Okay, so let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What, do you, what, is, what does this imply about the problem that the Hebrews, the receivers of this letter, what does this imply about the problem they were having? What were they being tempted to do? Yeah, to waver, to give up their hope in Christ. So here's, here's the deal. So the, the Hebrew, the, these were Jewish Christians. They'd come to Christ, and the people in their community, I mean, just like this, the people in the Jewish community, 
um, were 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 um, trying to pressure them into giving up Christ. And this is what happens in Muslim communities and other communities like that. You know, a young man will come to Christ, and the parents will say, "We will buy you a car if you will, if you will say no to Christ, and get rid of this junk. Stop reading your Bible." We will get you a fantastic woman for you to marry. And we'll give you a fantastic wedding. Just give up this Christianity garbage. And if you don't, we're going to kick you out of the family. So they were, they were being pressured to give up on Christ. They were being pressured. I mean, big time, all right? They're being pushed, 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 pushed. And they were, and so this letter was written to encourage them to, to do what? You said it. To not waver. And that word, I like it. it, it, it in, in Greek, it means to not bend. So you can just picture a river. You know, there's a tree there, and the, a, flood, a flood's coming, and, the, and the, the tree is bending because of the pressure of the water. Or it's like, again, the, the pressure of a flood coming down, and it's, it's not to give ground. I mean, a, a flood, you can have a big boulder, and if the pressure of the water's enough, that boulder will tip over and be pushed down the, down the water course. Um, or it means to not yield to the pressure. So um, this is encouraging, encouragement for them to not waver, okay? Not let the pressure take, take you down Stream. All right, so then read verse 24. What, what are they to do then that will help them to stand firm? Read verse 24. So what are they supposed to do? What's, what's a good thing they're supposed to do that will help them to stand firm? Support and encourage one another. Yeah, yeah. I like the word spur. What do spurs do? We're Western people out here. You ever, ever seen spurs? How many of you have seen, actually seen somebody wearing spurs? You know what they do? They're not just, what do they do? They make the horse. What do you do with them? You jab the horse with them, you know? You, jab, you actually, they're pointy, and you jab the horse's sides with it. It makes the horse go. This is a tough word. That's what it is in Greek. It's not like, well, you know, Steve, I think maybe you should, um, you know, do this. No, it's like, Steve, come on, man. Come on, Steve. Let's go. You know? So um, it's, that kind of a, it's that kind of a deal. Spur one another on, okay? Um, and to, 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 to good works. These are the good things that don't come naturally, okay? The hum, it's the stuff that the human nature doesn't like to do. So spur one another on, get together and spur one another on, spur each other, man, to do the things that your human nature is fighting against, all right? That's what this is talking about, all right? Then re- read verse 25. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? What's, what's key here then? Meet together, don't neglect it, Okay. And, the, and uh, neglect is to neglect. I mean, it can mean to abandon or... I mean, when you neglect something, what do you do? You, you ignore it. 
You don't do it because maybe you're too busy or you've got things that are more important. Usually, when you neglect something, it's because other things are more important. Isn't that usually why you neglect something? So Paul says, all right, you've got a bunch of things that are important in your life. Um, this, 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 and here down here somewhere is meeting together. But all these other things are more important. So this gets down here, gets neglected. He said, come on, you guys. If you're serious about this stuff, living as exiles, living as God people here in this crazy world, you've got to put this thing up here. You got to make that a priority. You guys just say, well, I'm tired now. I don't think I'll go to church or I don't think I'll meet or whatever. But um, it's more than that. Continue reading verse 25. So it's not just any kind of meeting together. It's not just meeting together to say, I went to church today. Because some people do that. Okay, I got to go to church today. So I went, you went to church and you come home, you feel good about it because you went to church. No, this is, this is a kind of meeting together that does what? Encourages you and spurs you on to do those things that are hard for you to do to maintain those values that you know are important but are really hard to maintain in this world, to say and respond and be the kind of person that you you know you want to be as a Christian but is really hard in this world, and so you, you encourage and spur one another on. It's that kind of meeting together. It's not just any kind of meeting together. It's that kind of meeting together. So that kind of meeting together really helps with this kind of deal, okay? Um, Because what happens in the world, (laughs) the world makes everything that we love seem stupid and valueless. It makes the things that um, for a God person are normal and right seem abnormal and odd. Doesn't it? You know? Um, So you're living with this stuff. The things that are, when you're a God person, are totally reasonable, make total sense that you would say that and do that and feel that and act that way. The world makes you feel like you're an idiot for doing that stuff. And that's the warfare you're doing. And we need encouraging people all around us to counteract that. If we don't have that, whoa, we're just going to be overwhelmed by that stuff. That's the warfare of the world, you see. So the question is, do you have this kind of meeting? Or have you had that kind of meeting? The kind of meeting where you get together and you are really encouraged and spurred on to love and good deeds. How many of you feel like you've got that kind of meeting as you, as you live, you've, live your life here? I mean, I do. I feel like I do. What is it for you, Dylan? Uh, I was Monday nights. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Yep. Yeah. What is it for? Did you say yes, John? Do you have it? What, what kind of, what's your meeting that spurs you on? Yeah. So not just one thing. The more the better, you guys, you know. 
put that, put that meeting together stuff up here. If you want to win this, if you don't, if you're not really concerned about this, then, you know, it's, it's, but it's, it's, it, it's the same thing. It's right here. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a degree thing. So to the degree that you're meeting together, and again, not just any meeting together, but the encouraging, spurring on type, um, and down here you have neglecting. Neglecting. Where you are on this is going to determine where you are on this, winning or losing the battle against the world, okay? It's not either or. You're somewhere here. Um, and if, if, you, if you're having trouble, if you're struggling in the world, um, this, make this a priority. It'll help, you know? It won't take away the struggle, but it'll help, all right? So, um, so that's it. That's the strategy. Regularly, regularly meet together with fellow exiles to spur one another on, you know? I mean, we lived as exiles. We lived as aliens in Rwanda. And, and man, it's, it, was really, it was really refreshing and rewarding to meet. We, we love Rwanda and its people, and we serve them. We learned its culture and their language and the whole bit. But there was something really encouraging about getting together with people from your home culture. And there's something really encouraging about that. We need that. We really need that. Okay. All right. So, um, any 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 questions on that? Is that? I mean, some of this is like you're thinking, hmm. This kind of sounds like spiritual disciplines, you know? Well, that's why the spiritual disciplines are spiritual disciplines because they help us in this whole thing. All right. Um, so the third one. Read what the third one is there. Somebody read that. The importance of. Importance of the mind. All right. Um, Romans 12. Somebody read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Nate, our reader, is, is out, so somebody else will have to do it. Okay, so uh, verse 21, um, read that again, Dylan, just, just 21. I mean, yeah, verse, just verse 1. Okay, so verse 1 is simply um, outlining the kind of life that Paul desires uh, urges, uh, desires for and urges upon his fellow Christians in Rome. He said, this kind of life that I want you to live, that God wants you to live, that I hope you guys want to live. Um, he, 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 he talks about lives given wholly to God, W-H-O-L-L-Y, but also holy lives, holy lives. And, and holy, get this, holy is an un- misunderstood word in the Bible. Holy does not just mean that it doesn't have any, any sin. I mean, it, it, that's part of it. Holiness 
is the quality of God, of, his, of the, 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 the character and quality of God that is of such great quality that it's, it's way up here, it's inconceivable in its goodness and quality. And that's what God desires for us. It's not that God just, he wants to give us his holiness, which doesn't just mean he doesn't want us not to sin. Kind of comes back to your question. It means God wants for us a life that has a different quality to it, a quality that is like God. It's, it's, it's a good, it's such a good and, and, and there's a perfection and goodness about our lives that gives them a quality that's different. And so that's what he's, he's, at, he's talking about. That's, that's what he wants for us. And of course, pleasing to God. So that when we're going through life and we're in this battle, our thoughts are always, I want to do what's pleasing to God. I want to do what's pleasing to God. I don't care what the world says. I want to do what's pleasing to God. All right. So this, this is, this, he said, this, this should be what your spiritual life looks like. Okay. This is what I want for you. Um, now, read verse 2 then, Dylan. Okay, stop right there. So here, here he's now telling us how we do that. How do we, in this crazy world like this, how do we live lives of holiness, of pleasing, pleasing God, of given to God? How, how do we live those kinds of lives? He, he gives us two things right in this phrase, something positive and something negative, something we're supposed to do and something we're not supposed to do. Um, what what's what's what are we not supposed to do? Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, so that's the one thing we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to be conformed, and that means um, the the idea there in in the Greek word has to do with a pattern. You know, you've got this pattern or blueprint, and you're looking at that pattern or blueprint, and then that's what you're doing. Okay, the blueprint says, I, I'm supposed to put a wall here. Okay, so I put a wall there. Now the blueprint says, I'm supposed to put in some electrical f- fixture right there. Okay, so you put it in. So you're following the pattern, the blueprint, and that's what you do. He said, don't follow the world's pattern or blueprint. Don't be looking at the world to say, what am I going to do next? How am I going to treat my wife? How, what do I do to get a job? Uh, what kind of job should I have? What kind of, what kind of family should I have? What kind of... What kind of, um, of, of things should I do in my leisure time? You don't get your blueprint from the world, okay? So, so don't do that. So that's, that's the don't, all right? And what's the do? What should we do? According, yes, what is it? Be transformed. And I said be, be, be um, totally renovated. Um, the word transformed... Well, the word transform means, you've probably heard this before, it means, it's where we get the word metamorphosis. So it means a, a change of, 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 of form and being. So, um, so we're not to be conformed. We're supposed to be transformed. In other words, have a life that looks really different. And again, that goes with the whole idea of holiness. Um, and then... Um, Paul tells us how this is to happen further in this verse. There are two by passages. By the what? Continue reading there in verse 2. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Well, even before the testing, by the renewal of your mind. And so that's what we're talking about, the renewal of the mind. So, so the renewal of the mind is really important. When something needs, okay, so, and the, the word means renovation. Okay, you know about renovation. When something needs renovating, a house needs renovating, what does it mean? Why does the house need renovating? Yeah. Bad shape. Got to go. So you know what? God's saying, God just said that about your mind. It's in bad shape. It's not working right. It's worn out. It's got to go. You need to renovate it. Okay, so that's what this is saying, you know? So um, we have to recognize that our minds are in bad shape as we live in this world. They get filled with junk. They get messed, messed, messed on by Satan and, the, and being mixed up by our own sinful natures. And we got to recognize that about our minds. And we, we, need to, we need to, there's a continual, it's a continual process of renewing and renewing, renewing our minds. Um, so the, the renovation has to take place in the mind, okay? Um, and then what's the next phrase? The next by phrase It's by the renewal of your mind that what? By, by testing, you may do what? Okay, by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, those are those things that don't, doesn't come naturally to the human nature. It's those things that we want to do, God wants us to do, but the world doesn't want us to do, our human natures don't want us to do, and Satan certainly doesn't want us to do them. Um, so in order to do that, there's, there's a testing, and it's, it's um, there's two words here. I, I, I put them together. It's a testing discernment. A testing discernment. Um, what's the opposite of testing discernment? What comes to mind? Spontaneity. Yeah, good word. What else? What's the opposite of testing discernment? Foolishness, following along. Yep. Doing what comes naturally. Doing what... I just feel I just feel like doing this, you know. All right, now, um, first of all, notice it's a command. So when, when the, the, here's a clue: when it's a command in the Bible, it means it doesn't come naturally. You have to work at it. That's why it's a command. All right. So um, to be to live your life with testing discernment doesn't come naturally. It's got to be intentional. You got to work at it, okay? Just, just, just realize that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a command. If we all did it naturally, Paul wouldn't have to say, hey, you guys need to do this because it would just be what we do, but we don't. We tend to, we tend to just do what comes naturally. We tend to, we want to be spontaneous, spontaneous. And, and the world kind of 
champions that. Just be spontaneous. Just follow your heart. Just do what comes naturally. Just, you know, you hear these phrases and you're going, yeah, that's what, that's true. That's what the world says. Um, I, I, just, I just thought it was interesting when I thought about this. I thought about, think back to our first session in Genesis 3. Um, what if Eve had been done a little testing in discernment? I mean, I think that's where she fell off the wagon there, you know? And what did she replace testing discernment with? Remember the three laws of the sinful heart? Yeah, go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it, you know? And, uh, yeah, so testing discernment. So um, testing discernment is how God wants us to to live our lives. Instead of um, just drifting along, doing what comes comes naturally. Now, I've got this idea of renovating the mind then. Um, when When I think about that, Continually renew your mind. It's a continual process. I think of three, three illustrations. Yeah. Um, the first is a whiteboard. And I, I picture in our minds um, that our, it's, it's like in our, our, our minds are a great big whiteboard. Just we live in a sphere, whiteboard sphere. And on that whiteboard, it's written all over. From the time you were born... The whiteboard of your mind has has been written on. Um, what's a mother? What's a father? What do I do when I'm hungry? What do I do? What do I do in school? How do I treat a teacher? How do I treat my friends? And as you grow up, it's more and more, and it gets written. It gets written. It's written all over the place. Where does that writing come from? Where all those ideas come from? Outside, they come from the world, unless you grew up in a Christian family. But, and even then, most of it comes from you're living in the world. So you have to real. that's what Paul is saying here. There's a bunch of stuff written on the whiteboard of your mind that needs to be what? Erased. So the renovating of the mind is looking at that stuff and saying, man, I need to erase that. That's at odds with what God says. I need to erase that. And then what do you write in its place? The word of God. Stuff, ideas from God, okay? Ideas from God. And that's where, again, um, these ideas all tie together because our, our fellow Christians are really helpful in that. You know, you go to a Bible study or something, and a good Bible study, that's what it should be doing. It should be helping us to erase that garbage in our minds and writing up their good stuff. I mean, here's some stuff that the world writes up there. See if this sounds familiar. Be true to yourself. That's hogwash. Don't be true to yourself. You'd be true to God. We already know what ourselves are like. We're sinners. We've got a human nature that takes us away from God. So if you're going to be true to yourself, where are you going to go? Down the tubes. You know, but a lot of us have that written in on the walls of our mind. Be true to yourself. You know, you hear this one all the time. How could anything that feels so good be wrong? Well, easy. (laughs) I mean, that's an easy one to answer. Erase that garbage. 
if it's, if it's not hurting anybody else, what's the big deal? You know, you hear that, you know, it's written up there. Some of these ideas and things that people live by. And well, I would, for that one, I just say, ask God that question. He'll tell you the answer to that. Um, Nobody is going to tell me what to do. I live my own life. Well, no, you don't. Nobody lives their own life, especially if you're a Christian. That's all garbage. But we, we just kind of take some of this stuff in, and it comes at us, and it's thrown at us. And like, uh, like Lori said, the social, the social media and everything is full of stuff like that. I mean, I'm just, I'm just pulling out crazy stuff like that. But um, so our minds are like a big whiteboard with stuff written on it, and it gets written on every day gets written on every day. When you're at the office, at work, at school, gets written on, and, a lot, and it, it, it comes from the world out there. Remember, the world is made up of people who have human natures. They're made in the image of God, so there's some good stuff that comes out of there, but it's all tainted by this, this tendency to not want God and his stuff, which is what we really love. You see, so the, there's the problem. So erasing rewriting with God's stuff. Then I also, I also think of it as pictures, a bunch of frames, picture frames. And each concept in your mind has a frame in it with a picture in it. Not a photograph, but a, a painted picture. And um, like you, 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 you've got to say a frame that, and the label on it is the good life, the good life. And we all have that. We've got a frame in our minds and we've got a picture there that says the good life. Where'd you get that picture of the good life? You probably got it from television. You probably got it from just living in America. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I know that if you ask Rwandans what the good life is, it's probably a little bit different picture. If you ask them in Syria, it's a different picture. If you ask them in China, it's probably a different picture. You got your picture from the culture and everything, and you've got this picture that says the good life, the American good life. Well, you need to look at every picture in your life. This is the renovation of the mind and say, does that picture need to be changed? Do I need to rip that picture out? Do I need to re-put another picture in there? Do I need to repaint it? Or maybe a lot of it's good, but I need to change this part of it. And renovating the mind is, is doing that. I mean, heck, you got a, you got a verse like 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. L- listen to this and, and see what this does to... To a picture like that, if that's kind of, you know, you think about the, the, the good life, the, the, the ideal life. There's the picture frame. Fill it with a picture from God. Here's what, here's what Peter says about life. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with, a, with the same way of thinking. Listen to that. To the, for the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in his flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you don't have to feel good. The good life is not about feeling good. He said, the good life may be full of hard things and suffering. And so put that picture up in your mind. Rip that other sucker out of there. Because if you have that other sucker out of there, you know what? When, when hard things come, you're going to get mad at God, and you're going to be one of these people that's, you know, what's wrong? Why? Because you've got this picture up here of the good life, and you're saying, but God, you said you're working all things out for good, and, and this is the good. What's going on, God? And you get angry, and man, you've, you've got to renovate your mind. 
you're going to get in tune with God and be walking with God. That's just an example. Uh, another, another idea that, that, that comes to mind is um, um, little containers. You know, I've got in my, in my shop, I've got, a, I've got a, 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 a um, little cabinet thing with these little drawers in them, you know, and it's got, it's got one and a half inch Phillips head screws in it. And this one's got, you know, half-inch flathead screws, you know, and you got all these different things. This one's got some hinges in it. This one's got, so you got all these different things. Well, our mind's got these little containers, and they're, they're all full of stuff. And the, the containers are like uh, feelings. Uh, uh, they're, they're attitudes. They're, um, uh, they're perspectives. They're meanings. Um, what does it mean to be a good father? What does it mean to be a good wife? And these little, these little containers are all full of meaning. But where do we get the meanings that fill these containers? Well, unless you grew up in a church or a good Christian family, probably a lot of the stuff in there you got from, from the world. So, um, renovating the mind. All those little containers in the mind filled with meanings and everything. Shake them out. You know, dust them out. You know, a lot of sawdust. You know, by the time... You do that, there's a bunch of sawdust down in there and everything because <laughs> it's in your shop. Clean them out and, 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 and think, God, how, what, how should I fill this container? As, as, a, as a young mother, and I want to be a mother, um, uh, yeah, God, what, how would you fill that container? What does that look like? So renovating the mind, all right? So back again here, um, to, to the degree that you renovate your mind, Um, to the degree that you just um, let it be, just go with what's in there already and just kind of, like we said, you know, spontaneous, whatever. Um, To that degree, you're either going to find yourself up here and winning the battle or you're going to find yourself down here and losing the battle. Because what's, what's in here determines what we do, what we say, how we respond to people, how we live our lives. So, um, so that's, that's the, thir- the third thing. So here's just three. Um, oh, here's, here's a good picture too. That's why we need to re- renovate our minds. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way it is. So, um, so there you go. Um, at at the bottom of your page there on the second, second half of it, there's application. I mean, yeah, th- this stuff will have a value for you um, to the degree, again, that you, that you use some of this stuff. And, um, you know, here's just some, an exercise you can do in a quiet time or something with, with God or, you know, talk it over as, as husband and wife or something. And it, it just takes these three things. Um, and from one to ten, you can even do it on a piece of paper, kind of like this, and say, to what degree do I really love God and his ways? Well, you know, right now in my life, I have to say it's like right here. So to what degree uh, do, I, do I love the world and its ways? Yeah, so, yeah, I'm right about in here. Therefore, to what degree should I expect to be successful in winning the war against the world? You know, if I, if, if I put a mark here, where can I put a mark on this one? 
And then the third question, what do I need to do to love God in his ways more and the world in its ways less? You got to figure that out. You know, I, I, we, we could have a big discussion about that, but that's up to you. What, what are you going to do to develop um, and nourish that love for God in his ways um, and, and kind of put a cap on that love for the world in its ways? And then, and then likewise for the meeting together, and for the renewing of the mind. So I encourage you to, to work through that, those exercises. So that's it for tonight. Uh, last question, any comments? Aha, it's 7.33. Yes, anybody? So that's the world. All right. Um, next week is the last enemy, which is Satan. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people in spiritual warfare, they start with that one. But um, like I said, um, these, these are the ones, the, the, the human nature, the flesh, and, uh, and, and the, uh, the world. Man, this is our daily battle. So um, that's why I wanted to start with those. So let's pray. Lord God, we, we um, thank you for this time once again. Thank you for these people that they could have been doing a lot of other things. And here you go. It's, they're given a priority to meeting together, uh, being spurred on, and uh, being encouraged to think to renew their minds, um, to, to, to take steps uh, in your direction as opposed to just going with the flow of the world. Um, and so we just thank you. Thank you that we're here. Uh, I love it. And, and uh, thank you for them coming and, and giving it value as well. Um, help us, to, help us to, to practice these things from your word and uh, to win that battle, to be people who are like that Rwandan family that just love you and just love your ways and just are are, um, doing the best we can to live in this world, but uh, really loving you and your ways and just longing for that time um, to be home. So um, help us to live like that. We pray in Jesus' name. Oh, and I pray for Marcy. I can just continue to pray for her and uh, that um, uh, maybe the surgery is over. I don't know. I think those kinds of things, if they go well, go quickly. And so I pray that she would, that uh, everything would go well, no snags, that she would uh, recover well, um, and there'd be no problems there, that you would uh, give peace and comfort and encouragement to her family uh, during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys. <laughs>